Starting in three, two, one. Okay, this is the Daredevil Prophet back with you again. I am joined by Jenny, aka Bacon. Say hi, Jenny. Hello. And this is episode 10, which is Nelson V. Murdoch. I'm glad I got the title right finally. Um, I thought it was, what did I think it was? Like Nelsie V. Murdoch or Murdoch v. v. Nelsie? <laughs> yeah, that's a good, uh, that's a good indication of how much uh, shit, I've, shit I've been drinking. Oh, <laughs> oh I don't know. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you think that I'm such a fan that, you know, I get the names all messed up. <laughs> Shit like that. But this is actually a serious episode. A s- episode about friends and struggle and blood. And do you know what's going on in this scene? Um, No, but before I even get into whatever I want to say... Mm. I just want to warn whoever is listening that I am a very, very sexual person, so I might make some sexual comments. Wow! So if you're not into this stuff, then no, it's you not. Know, be it's, careful. It's Don't not. get offended. Hey, look, he's drinking the beer that we were drinking before. Yeah. The Stella Artois, which is now your favorite beer. It is. Actually, he's not drinking Stella. I don't. He's know just holding it. <laughs> <laughs> it's really water inside the bottle. Like. But, yeah. <laughs> See, I like the scars on this guy. What's his name? Charlie Cox. I... (laughs) (laughs) Already. That's why I made a warning, because as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, I need to warn the people. I just saw one look from you. (laughs) Yeah, I thought it was pretty weird. Like, they they wanted this guy. Like, when when they casted the show, like, in the beginning of of the first season here... Like, they wanted this guy so bad. Like, there was this, there's this guy who's, like, the chief creative officer. His name is Joe Quesada. He wanted Cox so bad. He wanted... Uh-huh. That's all I wanted to say. He wanted Cox so bad. Yeah, so that's, uh... That makes two of us. Okay. That That's the story. Yeah, so... <laughs> And this is going very well. Okay, so a couple of things I want to address before we get into like this episode. As Jenny, as Jenny tries to stop <laughs> laughing, but um, but this episode does take place in present time, uh, or or this recording takes place in present time. So what that means is that I have seen all of episode two, uh season two that is multiple times and so this episode and all the episodes going forward will be informed by what is current and that means that civil war that means season two all of that stuff will be uh will be mentioned at some points during this commentary so if you haven't seen civil war if you're not up to date with uh, Daredevil or Jessica Jones or uh, if it takes me that long Luke Cage um, it will be informed by by current events so I will be talking about uh, a lot of stuff that is current up to date as of as of this present time so that includes a lot of talk about Electra which is why I wanted you here 
is because we can talk a lot about, um, you know, sort of uh, feminist issues and just kind of like women in cinema and how they're represented in, in television and stuff like that. All right. So if you don't follow me already on Twitter, follow me at Alternova05. And Jenny, I don't know if you want to give your handle. Um, do you want to give it? Because I think you. It's House of Hookers. Yeah, but house isn't spelled house. It's spelled H-A-U-5. And if you're smart, you would know. I don't have to spell the whole thing out for you. You just know. I'm not smart, and I still understand what exactly, it is. Exactly, <laughs> but there's some people who are smart. Okay, so you were saying that it was a German way of spelling house. Yes, instead of H-A- the H-A-U-S, is a, that's originally, I think, if mm-hmm. I'm not wrong, how you spell it. But I spell it H-A-U-5 of hookers because the name was already taken. And what artist originated It's a Lady that? Gaga reference. It's a Lady Gaga. And I just want to make it very clear that I am not hosting a brothel. And I have to say that because someone just assumed that that's what it was. And now ever since then, it's kept me scarred. I don't understand what you just said. Like, <laughs> well, a it's brothel. the wine. <laughs> All right. All right. Oh, but... um. Yeah, as you mentioned earlier about like the whole feminist or women in cinema, mm-hmm. I think it's really cool to to talk about that in cinema, but especially in a show that's based on action because usually I feel like men are mainly portrayed as the superheroes or the villains. And mm-hmm. so I don't know, I think it's really cool that you would feature me in this because I can talk about like the lack of women in yeah. And there's Jessica Jones I've heard of, yeah. but I've mm-hmm. never looked into her. And I've heard some stuff that it's a very anti-feminist show, but that's a whole different story. But oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. I've not heard anything about that. Well, I, I didn't that... hear about it very exquisitely, if that's yeah. the right word, but I, I, I saw general, the time. Yeah. Like, through osmosis, mm-hmm. like that's the kind of sense that you're getting. Yeah. No, I think Jessica Jones is great. I mean, I don't think that it's, I think it's a very, like, it's very female strong like you have like like almost half the cast are women and they're like women of power and even the the person who runs the show is um uh melissa something rosenberg or something like that she's the showrunner and you know she's a woman so she's coming from a very like um feminine place um and i didn't think that it was all that great when it first came out but to be honest, like the more I watch it, like it's it's a really great show, and I'm really glad that they're getting a season two, and that uh, Jessica Jones is going to be back, and um, and she's very strong in uh in in the first season, and um, and and, and so like the the whole thing with like women, like okay, so like Matt Murdock, Daredevil, like he's attracted to Karen Page, uh, who's um, the blonde, not to kind of like um stereotypical or whatever mm-hmm. but just as a general description she's kind of like the the blonde kind of pure looking kind of uh woman and um electra she has like a very ethnic like feel to her and he's in love with her as well but he has more of like a love hate relationship with her because she can be like difficult at times and stuff like that and so um, th- this all happens in like the next season, season two, but it rubbed people ar- like the wrong way because of how Electra was betrayed, you know, because of her 
ethnicity and because of because she's kind of like a minority or whatever and karen page is kind of like the damsel in distress that's her right there on on a <laughs> on on foggy's phone and probably on uh on matt's phone as well it's probably the same picture you know she's just kind of like that happy um kind of like that pure kind of like the way that like guys perceive like the girl that they're in love with kind of thing or whatever so um so there's there's kind of like that duality to where like women are are not being portrayed like fully to like their potential or whatever and um and that there is kind of like these um these hang-ups that are like going on uh in cinema and cinema and, and in television that kind of just kind of like rub people the wrong way and i think that's what a lot of people didn't like about um the second season is how uh how that whole dynamic was portrayed and it's based off of just this one character. Well, like, not the whole thing, but you're saying in that, in speaking in that sense, it's based off of just this character, which her name is Electra. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... She is a murderer, and she is an assassin. Let's just be clear about that. So mm-hmm. she's not, like... The nice... She, she's, but but Karen, is, Karen also murders uh, somebody as well in this in this season alone. So, like... That's the whole thing about this show is that nobody is really good. Like even the the people that you think are good do like shitty stuff that you wouldn't perceive as like, you know, Captain America or Superman or something like that. You know, kind of like that Boy Scout. Like nobody's a Boy Scout in this show. And that's what I like about it is that there's there's depth and sometimes people can go, you know, one way or another. And um I feel that that's more real to like, you know, human characteristics, you know, nobody is, nobody's perfect. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes you just have that urge to kill people. You know, <laughs> what can I say? You know, no, I think you took the words <laughs> right out of my mouth. Cause that's what I was thinking. That you like, want to kill somebody? No, well that too. No, but that it shows, cause I think a lot of the problem with a lot of shows in general, not even now or back then, just in general is that they, they tend to perfect, humans and they tend to sort of uh portray a certain character that we should look up to if that makes any sense right like we should look up to this perfect being but shows that show that humans can even the good humans can be bad humans just goes to show that that's just human nature yeah and that's just part of being human that you're it's not because you do something bad. You're not necessarily a bad person. Yeah, if you kill someone, that's that's a little fucked up. Yeah. But it also goes to show that when you push someone's buttons, that can be the outcome. Not because they wa- they were just. It's just sort of all like in the spur of the moment. You piss someone off. Stuff like this can happen. And anger is just a very interesting thing that it's not very. It's not accurately portrayed. Mm. Not that there is a good way to say what anger is but i think most people go oh you're angry you'll get over it in just a few minutes but sometimes no when someone gets you angry you're not gonna get over it right away or it's ever, gonna or sometimes. ever yeah you're you're gonna hold a grudge because that's what grudges are most people hold grudges mm-hmm. and i think i've never i'll be honest i've never watched daredevil but mm-hmm. the way that you're describing it makes it seem interesting that 
it just makes it seem intriguing that fact that they're showing what real humans are like i mean obviously it's not super realistic but Mm -hmm. some parts i think would really portray like what it is to be human yeah i i think like in all literature in all comics in everything like there's there's always the characters that you you aspire to be and the ones that we try to like almost like look up to or the ones that we just look up to just because we're attracted to some characters Mm -hmm. but then there are characters that are kind of like that are written in a way to where it's like no like you try your best but sometimes you know shit happens and sometimes you know you you're forced into like certain circumstances or whatever to where like you try your best but sometimes you know you're doing things that you never saw yourself doing and and um and just being in a place that you're not completely comfortable with but just you're you're in that moment and you're trying to like fight through it in a way and so sometimes that gives way to a lot of different emotions and a lot of different ways and how you act and sometimes it's like oh you know like that's not really me that's not really who i am but in that moment in that situation it's like you know well you know that's that's what i did you know that's what i said you know i said it i did it you know i can't take it back but that's just to me like to me i think that kind of tale and those kind of stories are kind of like it meets you where you're at you know it meets you from a very human perspective and it meets you from a place to where it's like hey yeah like you know nobody is ever going to be like perfect you know who's who's expecting us to be you know who who should ever expect us to be you know like these things that we aspire to be yeah it's good to have like good uh uh inspirations and 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 things that make us better it's always good like when you go to a concert or something that's like yes like you know you you go you experience something and it's like yes like like i want to stay in this moment i want to you know i want to be the better uh version of me but um but something like daredevil just kind of meets you where you're at and it's just kind of like no you know stuff happens and uh even the best of us do like really shady stuff Mm -hmm. so i think that that's that's part of why i like um daredevil and and um one of the things that uh really resonates with me as a as a character Cause, cause I'm the same way. Like I'm a, I'm a realist and you know, I don't, um, uh, I don't know. I don't, uh, I, I don't, I don't like to, I, I like to see through the bullshit a, a lot of times. And it's just kind of like, you know, okay, well, you know, you know, how many people, you know, have I met or have you met that are just kind of like, okay, you know, like I know you're bullshitting me right now. <laughs> like, come on, like, let's, let's drop the act. Like we both know, you know, like, let's just be real, you know? And I, I kind of think that that's, that's, that's kind of like where, where I come from. Like, yeah, let's, let's just, let's just cut it and just, let's just be real. You know, like, like the song goes, you know, let's just be real. <laughs> What's, what song is that? Mariana. <laughs> I've never heard it. Oh, come did you on. just make it up and then no. say, "Oh, so who?" Mariana and uh, uh, my uh, my girl. I'll show it to you later. All right. Um, but I think it's, I, I think it's a good i 
in an ideal world, everyone would be themselves and true selves. They would be, as you say, I quote, real. Mm-hmm. But um, I think in a society that that kind of paints an image for you to look up to mm. and to follow is it's hard. And it's interesting because I was having a conversation with a friend earlier this week that that it's easy to say, oh, let's 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 be real or let's let's just be our true authentic selves because that's ultimately the way of achieving happiness, I guess. But it's it's not easy. And I think that it's not necessarily society to blame because we're the ones in control of what we want to do with ourselves. We're the ones who have control of how we want to portray ourselves. But it's... um. I'm sorry. I forgot where I was going with this. I don't even know if I'm making You're sense. You're going somewhere. <laughs> I was definitely... I forgot. But I mean, overall, I guess what I'm trying to say is that the best thing to do for yourself is to just be who you want to be and do what you want to do as long as you're not harming anyone as long as what you're doing i guess it would be a good idea if it's safe for you but if it whatever makes you happy do that Hmm. but i mean like i don't know society just makes it hard but i guess if i want to like connected to a show it's also that's what that's the nice thing about shows is that you can escape that and find out that like the thing about shows or art in general is that it connects to you like you're the reason why art is so special is because you can actually relate to it because these are human emotions being shown and they're being like exposed and it's a way of saying oh you're not alone and um i don't know i don't know what i'm saying <laughs> i kind of lost myself and i was trying to i was trying to connect it all but it just all sounded like word vomit no but yeah i mean that's a good way to lead it back into into what we're watching here uh so matt and foggy they're having this fight it's not going to be the first time i mean it's not going to be the last time that they have it um they're having a conversation about um matt and what he's doing he's a lawyer so he's acting inside of the law mm-hmm. and then he's a vigilante. So he's acting outside of the law. So those are uh, contradictions to who he is. That's a funny joke by a uh, uh, great delivery by foggy. Um, who's, who's a really great um, pickup by the way. I love uh, uh, Eldon Hudson as foggy. Um, if you haven't picked up the uh, DVD, for the motion comic of Kevin Smith's uh, Guardian Devil, uh, which is pretty hard to find. It came out in the PS2 days. Uh, you could probably find it on eBay. The voice actor for Foggy sounds very much like uh, Eldon Hansen. So Eldon Hansen was a great pickup. Uh, he looks the role. He looks the part. Um, and he can play these serious parts. Uh, if you've ever seen um, his more dramatic roles, uh, not Mighty Ducks. I don't know if you remember him, but he was from Mighty Ducks. Um, you know, he's he's a really great actor, and um, he's known a lot here and his earlier work for his comedic stuff. But he's actually a very serious actor, so I'm really happy that he's in this part. But he's trying to reconcile why his law partner and his best friend is doing is living a double life. 
And I talked about this about myself as well, about how much Gemini, mm -hmm. how the horoscope says, you know, you're two-faced. You know, you've always got like, you know, double lives or multiple lives, these multiple facets of your life and stuff like that. So I think, I don't know, I'm going to put it out there. I think all Geminis can relate to, to Matt Murdock just because, you know, what he does during the day and what he does during the night are so contradictory. But at the same time, it's both for law, you know. And I think what he's done with his persona as Daredevil and with his daily life is he's he's um, put both of those facets of his life inside of a parameter of some sort of moral code. So that way you kind of think that those two things contradict each, contradict each other. But he doesn't kill as a vigilante and he doesn't like like there's a consistency with him being a lawyer and him being a vigilante, even those even though those two um, uh, way of life, like even though those two things contradict each other, like on a base level, mm -hmm. they kind of like are very true um, and he kind of makes it fit, I think. Um this is a flashback. Uh, a lot of the, a lot of, a lot of good stuff that they do here on the, uh, on this episode, and on the whole season by far. One of the things that I'm really, really jealous of is uh, if you've ever checked out uh, any videos on YouTube from uh, AV Club, Polite Fight, they do a few reviews about how scenes are structured how the camera is moving. They just analyze everything. And I'm so jealous of that because I'm pretty sure that I can extract uh, a lot of thematic meaning from how stuff is shot throughout this season. Um, but uh, but they do a really good job on, on stuff like Fargo and stuff like that. But this is a really great um, way of getting in and out of uh, uh, flashbacks um, to where there's always emotion or there's always a very slight um, uh, sane or um, or somebody moves towards the camera in a certain way that initiates um, a flashback. And this is uh, uh, Matt and Foggy out on the town mm -hmm. after coming back from a bar. Matt is talking about this girl named Electra that he was having a fling with. Uh Foggy is talking about how he took up Punjami, which I don't, I'm not convinced is a real language, uh, to impress a skirt. Um, <clears throat> and it kind of sets up this idea that Matt's been lying to him ever since the beginning, or not lying, but not really telling him the whole truth. And I can't really, like, if I'm Foggy, and I think a lot of people agree with me, if I'm Foggy, you can't really hate Matt. Like, if you're just friends and you like not just friends, but like they're not more than friends, I'm saying, but I'm saying like if they just met and they haven't been friends for like a year mm -hmm. at least, Matt's not just going to go and tell his best friend like, oh, like I kick ass at night. Like I beat people up like, you know, mm -hmm. this is this is who I am. Because like, that's a that's a big part of your life to reveal in in this world in that world well, i feel in real life too like anybody well, yeah, anybody yeah. that you've known for a year 
It's just kind of like you have to be really close to that person to reveal such a big part of your life. But I think that that's part of Foggy's like his gripe is like, you know, like he thought that they were that close. You know, he thought that this friendship was very, um, very uh, them against the world, you know, very, very close knit. And we tell each other everything. And Foggy has been almost completely honest with with Matt. Mm -hmm. But. He's a simple guy. Yeah. Matt's very complicated. Uh-huh. And I think that that's always very um that's always very accurate. Like the people that you get along with the most probably don't have that many secrets. Mm-hmm. But the people that kind of hold back and you know are holding back have a lot have a lot of dimension to like who they are and you know what they what they're about. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that, you know. Very uh very afraid to reveal certain stuff but uh but matt's a man without fear and he's gonna let foggy know by choice or by force so that's what this episode is about (laughs) ben urich another another great um another great actor as well um i've talked to i talked i talked before um about how i think he's great for the role he does die at the end of the season at the hands <laughs> what a spoiler alert <laughs> yeah. well you know it's been uh let me look at my imaginary watch hey, here but there are some people like me who stay who who are very hip and don't watch it until it's like almost no i don't want to watch this show. i don't want to say overrated no i'm not gonna watch it but there's those people <laughs> who are gonna stumble upon it and be oh, like oh i like the show so you just fucked it up for those people who are delayed you shouldn't be listening to this podcast if you haven't seen the first season well, or the second season maybe, or, or civil war or or anything i'm still pissed that maybe you should have gave this warning Devil before war was, you mentioned De- he Daredevil died was not civil war. Yeah, spoiler warning. Yeah, I don't like to That's do that not stuff. even No, you know what? This is this is bullshit. I can call bullshit right here. That was All not right. a spoiler alert. Okay. That was like a Hey, seen it coming Bacon mile. made me feel bad about spoiling it for you. Yeah. <laughs> but here, here's a little pity apology or a pity alert. But um I don't know. I don't want to I don't want to have to say this when we get too far in advance because then it becomes irrelevant. But I earlier I don't know if I'm saying the right words when you were talking about the oh, what are those guys' names? Fuck, I don't want to fuck up the names. What were the names? Foggy. Foggy and. Foggy is a big one. And the, no, I know who they are, but it's Foggy and <laughs> Matt Murdock. And Matt. Okay, so you mentioned earlier how if you don't know someone for a year, basically what you said is if you don't know someone for more than a year, you're most likely not going to reveal such a big part of your life. Mm-hmm. That's practically what you said. Yeah. And I feel. And then, um, so I agree. It. I agree with that. So, like, a year in it, I think the best way to know someone, it takes at least a year, at least, to mm. just know anyone in general. But I don't agree with, but I feel like, not that I don't agree with you, because I do, but I do, I feel it's important to mention that it doesn't matter about how long you know anyone, like a friend, to reveal. Maybe that's why, oh, what's his name again? Foggy? Right, yeah. I think that's why Foggy was so open about his life, like you said, because to him, it doesn't matter how long he doesn't know someone. If he, if I feel like he's that kind of person that if he feels comfortable with someone, based off of just what I've learned, is that he'll just be like, oh, well, you know, I feel comfortable. We should just be open. I think he felt like him and Matt were at that point in the friendship world that 
they're they can tell each other almost anything mm-hmm. and that's why maybe like i don't know so i think like it just didn't matter for him how much time but like because when you're a simple person and you don't care about like like you said he's simple so when you're a simple person and you don't care about when he, you really don't care about like you're just you don't follow those rules you just go if it feels easy why not go for it right and yeah that, when it you're a simpleton to, just go for it yeah. <laughs> it felt like yeah because like but when you're a more complicated per- <laughs> no because you have that mentality of just going for it but when you're yeah. a more complicated person like matt you're more cautious. you're more yeah more conscious about it yeah. so to him it was a it's like something you really have to think about when it comes to revealing such a big big thing about you whatever right. it is yeah and so i think that that was like the the clash between them mm-hmm. between each other because one of them is like oh just go with it mm-hmm. and the other one's it's more complicated that's why he can't just go with it because right. it's complicated and i don't know i feel like i could really relate to matt in that sense like it's not i don't know i just feel very it's a very relatable situation for me and that's why Mm-hmm. I wanted to bring it back to that and say why, because, yeah. Yeah, and that's all the show tries to do, is it tries to um, ask you to understand, like, where where everyone is coming from, mm-hmm. um, which is one of the great things, because every, every character is like, you see where they're coming from, you see what they're being put through or whatever, and it's like, you understand their reaction, why they would they would act a certain way or react a certain mm-hmm. way. And stuff like that. So, um, like, all of that is, like, really great stuff about um, the first season. I keep saying first season mm-hmm. because, like I said, season two was great. But I think it just rubbed people the wrong way in a lot of different areas. Um, and uh, this was just something that was it, – It's it looks and it feels like it was meant – for this first season and that was it like this could have been its own movie without any possibility of a sequel like if we didn't get a season two before defenders like it would have been it would have been fine like he's in the he's in his outfit he's completely actualized or realized as as who he is as daredevil and you know like we could have gotten to defenders without season two i think netflix kind of pushed that forward and wanted that to to go forward um so we got a season two and maybe the people at marvel didn't really know what they wanted to do or who they wanted to go with um but i did talk before about how um how how sequels always feature uh like a psychic or something like that iron man 2 with uh with war machine and and stuff like that so and and uh winter soldier features the falcon um so season two features the punisher and electra introduces more um characters but if you don't follow me on twitter i did write uh, a piece about how i felt that electra should have died and not been resurrected or whatever like just leave her dead like she was a she was a fine character in her life let's not um let's not create a shadow of herself um so like everything about season one was very finite and very well crafted and um if i was actually trained like in uh, cinema or, or went to cinema school or something like that i can probably articulate a lot better but you just know when a show is good, you know. You just know when something is being done right. 
um you know after a while after you've after you've seen as many movies and tv shows as i have um you just kind of get a feel for what kind of resonates the best and is just a good good uh television show um like fuller house you know mm. very very good television show you know they couldn't get the olsen twins <laughs> but they still did it and it was great kimberly <laughs> funny ass hell. no it's a really funny show but i i personally think they can work on it did you know that um that ashton kutcher uh he with came out Danny, with the ranch. Danny Masterson. Yeah. Masterson. Yeah, yeah I, and I also saw it right there. Um, I don't know. I've never watched it. I don't have. Never watched it. I don't have anything to say about it, but I think uh, it's. Cool. I watched the first episode. How was it? It was, you know, I I like uh uh um ah oh, fuck I'm forgetting his name, but the guy who plays the dad, um, yeah. Oh, Red Foreman in that seventy show. The guy who no. plays the dad. <laughs> oh, in the no. ranch. Okay. Yeah, in the ranch. Yeah, but he's good. I like him because it's like, it's like a blend of like sometimes it's like really funny, but mm-hmm. sometimes like it's funny like the like the seventy show, very very much like the comedy is very similar to that, but um, but it has like its serious moments where Ashton Kutcher gets mad, and he just looks like a teenager still, even though he's like thirty something, or forty something. <laughs> but uh but it's you know it's a show you know netflix passed up on uh on shows like limitless and and other stuff shout out to uh to yumi heisu and to orange is the new black orange is the new black yeah <laughs> yumi heisu is Ooh. not a show is a, a person yeah but, but shout out to her, her she was really upset um that limitless was canceled and then Orange is the New Black has been going for uh, for how many seasons now? It's going to go to its fourth season, which is coming yeah. out this June. Yeah, I don't I, know what date, but I'm excited for that. Yeah, I think that um, uh, what was the uh, the other How, House of Cards? I think that one's like on House its, of Cards on its fourth or fifth. It might season. be fifth. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it's six. But yeah, the point is that show's still going. But that show that show was like pretty much the first first netflix show and then orange is, is a new black you know out of all the shows that have come and gone on netflix and will come and go like for orange is a new black to be like a early home run like really the second home run for netflix and it, it might to be around mm-hmm. yeah, it's really good it might have actually been weeds which is also by the same the same per the same person who created orange is the new black yeah. so that's another- orange is the new black is soon but weeds definitely apparently was like kick-ass in the netflix world at wasn't the time. weed on like showtime weeds. Or something? Or no like- it was a netflix series it might have been honestly i don't know too much about it right. but the point yeah I mean, House of Cards it was a bankable though, IP. That first season was definitely like I like it, but I feel like it's not my thing. Like if I was like a a poli sci geek, no offense to all you poli sci geeks, it's <laughs> just that I would feel like House of Cards is the fucking greatest show ever. But unfortunately, it's not really my thing. But oh. I give it a lot of credit. Like it's pretty rad. Okay. Right. I don't know why I just rambled on about that. I am sorry. You you like you like Orange Is the New Black. You know. Oh, I could say so much about that show. <laughs> Be thankful I'm not. And Fuller House. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, so like a couple couple of important scenes here. Uh, ben, you're giving his full investigation of the whole 
conspiracy of Kingpin and Daredevil and all that stuff, like the the cards and and the the articles that he's written or other people have written that he's collected. He's given that to Karen. And once he did that, like when I first saw it, I knew that Karen was going to go into um, into the line of journalism, which she fully does in, in season two um, in the comics. Also, she's also uh, a radio DJ uh, called Angel of the Morning, which is really ironic with Daredevil, um, which is pretty obvious. But um, but there's that scene of her being being a, a, a journalist and you can kind of see that you can kind of see why Ben Urich is uh, a dis, dispensable figure you know he's a he's an expendable kind of character when it comes to the grand scheme of things you know he's he's obviously involved with like Spider-Man and the Daily Bugle and J. Jonah Jameson but um, but he's allowed to be let go because you know you have Karen who's going to pick up that mantle in uh in future seasons um this is a really great scene as well like they're just they're done arguing you know but they're both tired like they're both just exhausted like you know screaming at the top of your lungs and going back and forth and it's just like you're still pissed there's still no resolution but it's like you had that quiet moment to where it's just like we're just we're just sitting here and you know we still like care about each other or whatever but you know, we're pissed in that moment. We're still not done saying all that we want to say or all that we need to say. So, um, like I said, just a lot of human moments. Um, you know, the Daredevil wasn't in Civil War. Um, there's a big debate uh, online right now about how the movie side of the MCU is not acknowledging uh, the television side. Um, you know, Jeff Loeb, even uh, for New York Comic Con, said it's all connected. And I quote, it's all connected. So th this idea that, you know, all these characters exist in the same universe, but yet the television side is not really acknowledged. Uh, Chloe Bennett from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. quoted as much. It's... Uh, it's it's a it's a true civil war it's a true civil war in in reality that is taking place simultaneously with the release of captain america civil war and uh i said on i said on twitter like it's it's going to be even worse if they don't include television uh characters into infinity war because then people will lose their shit nerds are crazy nerds are very crazy and they want they want it all. We want it all. I can't exclude myself from that. I'm a bit of a nerd myself. But um, but here Karen is being shady, trying to make this story of hers happen that began with episode one or two to where, you know, she really wanted to expose uh, Wilson Fisk and how he's controlling society and just uh, the the power that he's exhibiting and the control that he has. He's going to take or she's going to take her closest ally, Ben Yurick, to go see Wilson Fisk's mother. Um, she's a very shady character. Very, very far from perfect doing very, uh, very shady shit. So we'll see where that goes. There's actually a lot of arguing in this scene. I love it. 
I love it. There's a lot of quiet, a lot of quiet scenes, and then there's a lot of like arguments. There's actually not a whole lot of uh, action in this season uh, compared to most superheroes, and compared to the the second season. There's a lot of internalization. There's a lot of uh, digging into, you know, who these characters are and who Matt is, and I think that's the thing that I miss and what I want to see us get back to. I don't know what season three is going to be about, but maybe it's going to be about uh, Frank Miller's Born Again. We'll, uh, we'll we'll see. And if that happens, you know, I hope that Stephen DeKnight comes back uh, and just really crafts all these episodes into one cohesive season where we really dig deep into the psyche of of Matt and Karen and uh and all the characters surrounding them um so I still know that that's going to be an inevitability them doing Born Again because that was the proposed storyline for Daredevil 2 when it was still back at 20th Century Fox and uh it's it's been waiting it's been waiting in the shadows more than the whole Frank Miller Electra run has been say what you will i like i said i've said my piece on twitter about um how i feel about electra in season two but um but that's not the story that they were waiting to tell the story that they're waiting to tell is born again that's going to be the most pivotal and most emotional and the most influential the most retroactively or i don't know um the opposite of retro like like uh, uh, the most preceding influence i guess is the best way that i can say that influenced season one and season two i believe it's all leading up to born again you could see it in the in the detail of matt just fucking up some random dude what did this guy do he i have a feeling I'm yeah. getting I'm getting a sense that he was re- like molesting his little girl. No, you cheated. No, how is that really it? <laughs> yeah, because yeah. I can tell when that's going on and hell yeah, Matt, thank you for kicking that asshole's ass. <laughs> 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 Fucking him up. That was good. He, did he rip that asshole's ass? No, he just did he tear that asshole a new asshole? He tore everything up. Oh. And I'm not meaning it like in the hallway. I'm meaning it in like the the one that you don't want that to happen to you. Are you telling me that that last scene wasn't hot? Hottest thing I've ever seen in my life. It was hot. Oh, this is, I'm not even going to say why. No, it wasn't hot. But I was No, gonna, it wasn't hot. I was going to be like, oh, it was hot because he was fucking up a molester, a child molester. Yeah. But then that gives off the idea that you should fuck up all child molesters, yeah. which I'm sure a lot of people would be on board for that. But let's, let's I don't want to be that mean. That is something that is very taboo, as we say, in society. And uh, yeah, it still offends people. And probably always will. Even though in Europe, you can be 14 or 16 and you're of the legal age very weird i know some of it it's like oh if you're 12 it's legal (laughs) i i fucking swear to god i don't know where it's in some i don't want to put it in a specific category because i i don't want to offend anyone but it Mm. happened in an asian country okay and i think the i think this was illegal though like in like in uh i don't know like in 
some point in history? It wasn't too long. I was probably oh, like eleven. It was eleven. <laughs> I was, I was eleven when I found out. Yeah. No. It, oh, okay. It, okay. So. Yeah. Wasn't too long ago. So what happened is that, from what I can remember, is that in that specific country, in the there was this man, like an older man, who would pay these mothers for letting him sleep with his daughters as long as they were, I believe, twelve and up. Explicit for children. Don't let children listen to this. Continue. And um, and the moms would be like, okay, my child's 12 now. And it's just like. Good night, everybody. <laughs> it's so, oh my gosh, like it's so fucked up. And I know I think that that's something, that's why it's so like taboo because it's such a sensitive topic. Just talking about it, just me talking about it gives me the goosebumps. And I don't even want to continue talking about it <laughs> because it's that like, it's like a thing like we know it's there, but we don't want to hear it. And I think I, that's I mean, I'm thankful that such a show like this could show that that that's what happens in real life. Like that shit happens. And a lot of shit like that happens in the fucking train tracks. So that makes it even more scary <laughs> that it can happen in uh, your life. That's kind of true. Yeah. So, I mean, just fucking <laughs> take that into consideration. And yeah, and it was necessary to say all that taboo stuff, because no matter what, it's around us. All the bad shit you can possibly think of. We're surrounded by it. We're not super closely tied to it. No, sometimes we are closely tied to it, but sometimes it all happens under closed doors. Mm. It all does. Maybe someone's a fucking superhero around my town. I fucking swear, and I don't there even are, know. There are, there are I real bet life there superheroes. Are. Yeah, the most. I think the most popular one to me, because I listened to uh, to, to Double Toasted, formerly Spill dot com. I listened to Corey and his rants about uh, Phoenix Jones, who. Um, I don't know, like he's in Seattle or Washington. I may be completely fucking that up, but he's like in a, um, he's like in a, uh, like a very urban, a very populated city, right? And like he has an actual like body cast, mm-hmm. which is like black and then gold, and it's really kind of silly looking, but he's probably the most popular like real life superhero. And there's actually a documentary that was on Netflix. I don't know if it's on there still. Um, about how like yeah a lot of these people they just go around the city they drive around or they walk around and they just patrol the city and it's like they really don't have an objective they don't really have anything that they're going towards they just want to they just like the idea of patrolling the streets and you know potentially you know like doing some good or preventing some harm to somebody stuff like that which never happened like in real life like in the whole documentary of like nothing really exciting happens to these to these uh to these real life superheroes except for phoenix jones phoenix jones phoenix jones actually was involved in like gang fights um he's actually chased down um you know some people who are doing like weird shit in the streets and then he's also been taken to court to where you know he's had to like you know reveal himself like his his true identity to like you know the public like he was in court like he had to take his mask off and he had to reveal himself um but yeah his uh his superhero name is phoenix jones look him up if you want to um uh get a taste of what uh real psychosis looks looks like or uh just very very um misplaced sense of reality um but uh but it's it's fun to fun to see and fun to read about it's it's a good concept 
and I think as a citizen, you just have to answer the call when your when your bell is whistled um, in that moment to kind of do the superhero-y type thing or whatever. But um, but uh, that bell is uh, far and few in between. All right, so this is one of the most beautiful sets of the whole season. It really contrasts against the rest of the the show to where you know here's Wilson Fisk the scum of the entire show and he's here in this beautiful um beautiful place uh in this very upbeat kind of uh or this very up time in his life you know he's got his new girlfriend he's uh he has his supporters and everyone is looking at him like he's a king and it contrasts really greatly with with matt and his life and you know he's always down in the dumps sometimes literally in the dumps and he operates in a uh, in a world of of darkness because of his blindness um but also because of the the tone of the show um but even in this elegant beautiful place the king can't stand too long atop the mountain without somebody wanting to drag him down and so here's a uh, uh, senator cherry which is uh which was a big big character in uh in frank miller's uh run his initial daredevil run so it's nice to see um him being talked about and him being seen there for for a brief moment he's a he's a very important character um that gets a, a short cameo there but uh here is here's uh some more shady shit going on and for this for this episode i can't really find a theme that connects all the storylines that are happening all at once um i think if I had to sum up this episode with one word, I think it would kind of be betrayal, right? I think that, you know, Foggy feels betrayed by Matt. Um, ben Urick is going to feel betrayed by uh, by Karen. And Wilson, you know, his girl is going down here. He's being betrayed by somebody, you know, and initially he thinks it's Daredevil, but in the next episode, it shows that it could be somebody within his ranks. And that's just a really fucked up thing to do. Um, knowing that, knowing what he goes through to try and ask her out on a date um, and to try and impress her and try and keep his shit together when, when he's around her um, to have her go down like this. It's just a little heartbreaking. Just breaks the soul. And the heart. But uh, yeah, here's another quiet scene. You know, now these guys are getting real. You know, they, they've gotten all the anger out of their system. And it's like, okay, who's who's really going to step up? And, you know, who's really going to do something? If not me, then who? Um, little does you know that the um, people like uh, Jessica Jones and, and Power Man and Iron Fist are in the wake. And they're going to take his lead. Uh, even the, the Daredevil worshippers, which are uh, mentioned in Season 2. Even Punisher, who's kind of like that chief devil worshipper, I think. Which is really 
which is really great that he kind of spawns in, in a way from Daredevil and from his uh, uh, pioneering campaign against uh, crime in Hell's Kitchen, how he uh, starts, and, and he's basically the Iron Man uh, of the television universe to me. You know, he's the one who started it all. And um, he just looks like a little bitch right now. <laughs> no, but this is this is a very real scene. I gotta say that I love the dialogue that's going on between these two characters. Yeah, I mean, it's really, really great. You know, like, you can almost take out the superhero element out completely, and it could just be a show about two guys. And, you know, it's still a show that I would watch, you know. The action really is secondary, you know, the, the, you know, all the hoopla and all the, all the big stuff, all of that is secondary to the emotionality and to the core of who these characters are and what the dynamics are between them. Um, it's really good. Uh, Charlie Cox is a good actor. I like that he does a lot of mannerisms um, that you wouldn't do when you're blind, but you know, he's Matt Murdock is not only somebody who's blind, somebody who can't see. He's also somebody that he can't emote. You know, he he always has to be restrained. He always has to be reserved. And so for Charlie Cox to be able to convey certain emotions through him rubbing his fingers together or just like his head movements, um, you know, his reaction to things. That's the great thing I, that I love about Matt is sometimes... He doesn't say what's on his mind, but he always reacts with what's in his mind. And sometimes those things are different. Sometimes what he says and, and how he reacts are two different things. And um, that just creates a very uh, great sense of depth and complexity to his character that is all there. It's all there in the acting, and it's all the, it's all in scenes like this that you wouldn't get if it was just a movie where 30, you know, percent of the movie or, you know, a quarter of the movie is all action. You know, you're not really getting a whole lot of uh, emotion out of that or internalization of the characters um, or quiet moments, which which are really, really important for a show like this. But you're also getting these really, really great small moments, which is something that uh, Mark Stephen Johnson was saying uh, about his take on Daredevil in 20th Century Fox's uh, Daredevil movie. Uh, he was saying, you know, that it, it it's it's the same thing that, that he was going for. It's the small moments that really make up this character, make up, you know, the, the great part about um, uh, what hits you and what resonates the most for uh, for Daredevil, like the the whole Daredevil property, just the Daredevil name, and all the stories that happen underneath that banner, um, and so it ends with them not being able to reconcile their differences. Uh, their law firm is in the trash, and we got a surprise for you because we're gonna go right into the path of the righteous. Which is going to start in two, one, and it's going to start right now. You make me feel good. I stand like a king's day. And if I should find. 
I don't know what cartoon that is. But I know that Netflix is pro-Disney. And that looked like Warner Brothers to me. I don't know. That looked like Looney Tunes almost. So, you know, that's something that's going to be outdated at the end of this year in September when uh, when Netflix will have exclusive, uh, exclusive rights to Disney and all of their cinema properties. So that's very cool. This is a very, very, very great episode. You may not uh, know it. This is actually one of the hardest episodes for me to watch just because I didn't understand what was going on in this episode or what they were kind of doing with it, what they were trying to say. It just felt like, you know, a little bit of uh, filler, a little bit like you have Matt, he's recovering. Kingpin, he's going to be in this in this hospital for the whole episode. But he's uh he's knocked down. You know, his uh you know, I always think of Kingpin as as the king of of uh, of a chess match. You know, and his queen just went down. <laughs> and all of his pawns are going down and some of his rooks and knights and and like little by little one by one they're just they're all kind of going down and that sort of wall is going down and that really is the the thing about kingpin is that he's not just one person that you fight and then it's over with it 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 has to be a campaign against all of his all of his buddy all all of his inner circle you know um just to get to him just to even get a chance to get at him um and it's something that matt is very uh, persistent and um you know very true to his character just wanting to constantly move forward no matter what and you know not quitting you know being fearless this is one of one of the great scenes so here we have karen and matt we're not romantically involved yet at this point but she cares about him he cares about her they like each other they just don't like admit it or whatever but like she's just coming as a friend like she really really wants to look out for matt and make sure that he's okay she brings this little balloon he's blind so he she for real is blind. Yeah. Okay. He for real is blind. And it's like, why would you get a blind man a balloon? What would you get, what would you get a blind man if they're recovering from surgery? Painkillers. Painkillers. <laughs> <laughs> That's useful. That's useful. Yeah. A balloon, not very useful. But it is very romantic. Um Yeah, Matt is just like me. He's got stellar artois, just Stuff in his little fridge there. He really, for a blind man, he really knows his way to get a good beer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, because they're everywhere. They're not hard to find. You know, all he has to do is reach out his hand. No matter where he walks, he's going to have a beer in his hand. But how does he always know that's exactly it? Like someone could just be saying, oh, this is a Stella, Stella Artos, however you pronounce it. And then really it could be a fucking Bud Light. <laughs> Well, he can smell it before he drinks it. 
I don't know. All beer to me smells the same. But then again, when you're blind, your sense, your other senses are much more stronger. That's true. That's true. As is the case with Daredevil. And even him to an umpteenth degree because he operates at a superhuman level. So all of those senses that were enhanced before are now enhanced. Tenfold, twentyfold, hundredfold. Yeah, about a hundredfold sounds sounds about accurate to me. He's having a beer in the middle of the day. He's just chilling. He's in his sweatpants. He's supposed to be at work. <laughs> She's like, Why aren't you at work? I care about you, but you're a fucking lazy ass. He's like, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just filling in the blanks for what they're actually saying. But well, um, you're doing a very terrible job because like the words <laughs> are up on the TV, yet you're saying something completely different. Yeah, but you know, you can take the words off the TV and then just kind of be like, yeah, that's what they're saying. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, yeah, unless you could, like, mess with really stupid people and be like, oh, okay, like, this is what it's saying. And yeah. They're like, yeah. It would be a trip because when they would be reading off of something else, they would just be saying the words the, w- the way you lied to them that they were. <laughs> so it would all be so, like, <laughs> that I would kill to hear that. <laughs> we're not going to hear it here. They always do the shot where Matt's, illuminated by one window and another character is illuminated by another window um there could be a thematic reason for that but i just don't think that daredevil is as deep as fargo uh or shows like that to where there's ways in which they construct a scene and it actually means something it means something to the characters or to the situation that they're in at that present moment and i think that Marvel would, I mean, who, who are you going to find? I mean, Stephen Knight is the best that, that, that we've seen at, at, at running a show. Um, you could say what you want about, um, about anyone else. But I think for this character, this season was just so impressive to me to where even if there isn't a meaning and, you know, I'll, I'll blame that on my own lack of uh, cinematic education, but like I said, you just know when a show is being shot right, um, when something is uh, lighted correctly, um, and when the cinematography helps the emotionality that's going on in the scene. Um, and like you can even tell from their body language, like Matt is, he's not sitting on his couch, like he's not sitting in his couch, like he's sitting on top of it, like on the armrest. Like, he's clearly wanting to create space. He's clearly wanting to create distance. Like, he doesn't want to get too close to Karen at this point. And she crosses over from one window to his window. And so she's the one that comes to him, even though he his body language is like, you know, like, I'm keeping my distance. She breaks through to him and, and you know, touches his cheek and is just letting him know, I'm here for you. I care for you. She breaks into his circle, into his bubble, into his balloon, and uh, and she's getting that message across to him, even though he's apprehensive about her. And that's his reaction: is I'm not ready for that. So I think that that's I think that's some good BS, right? That's some good bullshit about what that scene, how that scene was constructed. Do you like how I? 
phrase that. I don't know. I thought that that was pretty. You, I love the way you were describing it. <laughs> I was, I, I so liked I. it. <laughs> I really did. So you go from two people who really care about each other in a very deep and personal way and non-sexual way to two people who only care about each other in a sexual way. How sexy is Foggy right there? With those man boobs, just <laughs> your reaction is those those man nipples. What is gotta... it? Different strokes for different folks. <laughs> I thought you would go for it, but um, all right, to each his to each his own or her own. I can't believe that's what you think of me. <laughs> yeah, but it's funny. He comes off as like I would definitely play with the nipples for fun, but not in a sexual way. It would just be more like a ha ha ha, I'm playing with man boobs. <laughs> <laughs> what about Wilson Fisk's man boobs? Oh no, definitely not. No, Something like much, about too much bald bulky men is very frightening. Oh. Not Bold. not to be fucked up. Maybe that's why the kingpin is. Look at him. He's so he's so. Although his wife, so I I like his wife. Oh, I completely agree. I think I say it every time he she's on screen. Just like when know, I saw her, I was like, "Damn, heads. who is that woman? <laughs> why is she my woman?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, she's uh, she's like she's really good. even at her grossest moment mm. where the fucking foam was coming out of her mouth i found that hot <laughs> <laughs> i knew you you're would, sexy you as sick. fuck if you can look good with foam coming out of your mouth <laughs> when you're dying <laughs> when you're literally, if you can die sexy then ha- sexy you have my heart <laughs> <laughs> yeah no she's like maybe that's why people are necrophilic because they f- <laughs> i'm not gonna get into that <laughs> No, I I think it's like, you know, like you have like, like there's the conventional like beauty, right? <laughs> there's the conventional way of how people like view like what's beautiful. Like you can look at any kind of like supermodel and like they all have the same body type or whatever. But I think like, like with the case with, with her, it's just kind of like, you know, she's, she's, she's different. Mm-hmm. You know, she's not like your conventional beauty, but yeah, she still has beauty that's undeniable. Um, and you know, I think that, you know, whether it's in your character or whether it's like, you have like a cute nose or something like that, like wherever it's at, like there's, there's beauty in like all people, you know, and I think all people can be, uh, found to be, to be beautiful because I think there is beauty in, um, in the way you live your life or just how you look, um, just in different, different ways. Everyone has it. You know, and it's about um, like the 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 true like test of like you've you've become comfortable with your with yourself is you recognize what's most beautiful about yourself and you flaunt it. You know, you just you know, it, it, it's out there for all the world to see because, you know, like it's something that good that you have within yourself. And I think that that's, uh, uh, you know, when you when you that's a coming of age kind of rite of passage type of thing. Um, but, um, but yeah, I, I really like, um, I really like all the ladies of Daredevil. They're all beautiful <laughs> 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 in different ways. 
Rosario Dawson, the big timer, coming down to grace us with her presence. She's really cute. I actually, I want to make her my queen. Okay. All right. You can have the wife of that toad-looking man. Oh, I'm kidding. Toad. That was so hard. Toadpin. <laughs> His name is going to be Toadpin. Now. Okay. Well, <laughs> you can have Toadpin's wife because... I want her to be my queen. All right. Eva, What's her e- name? D- Rosario Dawson. Rosario. Oh, Rosario. That's a cute name. It's a nice name, right? Now, do you want her to leave the gloves on? Oh, she's taking them off. Do you want her to leave it on? You want her to leave it on I as as your queen? I want them off. <laughs> Get them a little dirty. <laughs> All right. All right. Oh. Well, I know that Charlie Cox has gotten. Uh, her hands dirty with, uh, with his junk. With his junk. Yeah. I'm jealous. Yeah, yeah. They they uh, they've had a time. the 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 thing about Matt is that you know one of the things that defines him um, about a character is that he's he's almost kind of borderline a womanizer. Um, you I, know, I get that. You get that vibe. Just from this one little scene, you get like you can instantly tell. Well, even like before even seeing scene, that, yeah, just yeah. looking at him, you're like, this guy's a ladies' man. Yeah, like he knows, and he knows how to flaunt what's great yeah, about and him. And because he's not, honestly, I don't count. think he's that like he's handsome, definitely, but he doesn't. He's not necessarily like model material. Right. Yeah, and that's what I was saying before. You know, is that you know, there's something you know a little. um there's... Cute about his little face scars. <laughs> okay, I wasn't gonna go that way. I wasn't gonna go and compliment his uh his beauty beautiful features. <laughs> Sorry, go on. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know, like, you know, he knows how to um play with girls' emotions. He knows how to you know, he knows what women want, you know, and he's you know, he's 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 pretty good at it. You know, but the thing about him is that so many of his girlfriends die because of his... Because of how because of charming he is. <laughs> yes. All right. Somebody has officially joined the Charlie Cox fan club. But, um, but no, they literally die. <laughs> <laughs> so he has to find new women. You know, he's trying mm-hmm. to be happy. You know, he's got to find a new lady once... Once the last one dies. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> I'm like imagining him at a bar, like going to a bar every night and being like, yeah, my my girlfriend died. And then they're just like, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's a great pickup line. It's like, I'm sorry. That's awesome. I'm going to use that. No, no, that's, that's terrible. <laughs> yeah, but uh, she's wearing my jacket, the jacket that I always wear. I wear a lot of gray underneath. She's just and and blue as well. Uh, you know, for the bottoms, she's just jacking my style. You know, I came up with it first. Actually, the the whole green jacket phase. I mean, you you've seen this like all around, right? Like the mm-hmm. faded green jacket thing, like that's in or that kind of was in. It's kind of being phased out right now. But that was actually big in like I don't know, like if you played Silent Hill two. You know that um, James, you know he has a green, kind of the same outfit and stuff. Like it, it's very, uh, it's very inspired by old 
fashion, you know, kind of like that, uh, uh, that, that 70s period where, uh, you know, you had your gorilla club and all that stuff, like your, your Vietnam war oh, uh-huh. jackets and stuff like that. Like, that's kind of like where that probably got, uh, the most popular and, uh, it made a comeback for a while and I've gotten many compliments from that jacket. It's been, uh, it's been good. Yeah. So we always cover fashion here on, uh, here on this podcast and that's, uh, I, I like, well, fashion is a big form of ex like a, of expression. Yeah. I feel. Yeah. I like how Ben Yurik, um, dresses as well. Just a lot of patterns. A lot of the guys wear like a lot of patterns. I mean, most guys in real life just like, you know, they wear like a They're very basic. Bit. Very basic. What? How does the song go? Gucci, Gucci, Fendi, Fendi, Prada, <laughs> Prada. I don't know. I fucked it up. I was hoping I wouldn't fuck it up, but I did. <laughs> yeah. My new favorite word, basic. Guys are basic. Heterosexual guys. Not to what? be like fucked up. Yeah. But straight mm-hmm. men are very basic because For gay men are much more fashionable than women, some women. That's why dresses have changed so drastically over time. Yeah. And suits for men have basically just stayed the same. Men are much more feminine than women. What? I, I, you know what? I think it's true. Like the <laughs> best fashion has been made by men. Yeah. I'm just saying like, even whether they're gay, straight or not, regardless of sexuality, men are fucking feminine. They're the most sensitive as well. <laughs> I just think reverse roles. I think overall, I don't know. I'm not going to keep continuing, but yeah. You want the, the woman to be the, the, the dominant. Oh, not that all women are, but in a sense, even in the fifties, you can be like, oh, women were submissive, but actually women were pretty dominant in, in the sense that they were in control of if a man was going to eat, they were in control of if they're, if they're, <laughs> like man if they was don't cook a meal, a man's night. just going to go yeah. hungry that night. So like everything a man earned at home was because of his fucking wife. A single man wasn't going to get that kind of treatment. Mm. So you know what? Like, people can talk, like, cuss me out for this, I love but Lucy, I think... Lucy may have been a dipsy kind of person, but I, Lucy, she supported that man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> in real life, I yeah. feel... In real life, I heard that he was cheating. Mm. They were actually... So, you know what? Lucy is bae. <laughs> and I hate myself for saying bae. That's, what, that's why a lot of people still love her even today. She's a, she's a really good She's guy. fantastic. Mm-hmm. As well as... Yeah. That's a whole different topic. Sure is. Yeah, so Ben Eric is upset. Karen put him in a situation that he wasn't comfortable being in. And he's going to pay for it later. Karen is not. Um he shouldn't stick his, stick his neck out. Um but he will. And it'll cost him his neck later on. Like but his literal neck? His literal neck. Is, Toad pin. Is that another spoiler or spoiler alert? Wasn't that the same spoiler alert? No, Didn't... you were talking about uh, that that bald man, I think. No. No, no, no. Goldwell. About... You were talking about Gladwell. Gladwell. <laughs> You're talking about the G guy. And you're saying how G-man. he was going to like end up 
dying. Yeah. And then now you're saying this guy's going to get his neck off. Like, you're just spoiling it for everyone. I, I think it's so I'm just, funny. I'm just putting it out there. I'm not, yeah. I'm not saying one thing or the other. Only you know? a true person who watched all these episodes knows what you're talking about. Absolutely. You can't be this far in and be like, uh, what are you talking about? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, this is for people who have seen it, uh, assuming that you already know what's going on and what's going to happen. This is a very, very important scene. I love this scene because, you know, leading up to this, you know, it's building the idea that there's somebody that is working for Kingpin that is trying to overtake him, trying to overthrow him, you know, and you see this, these scenes before this actual scene to where Wesley just kind of looks like he might be the guy. He might be the guy that's trying to pull strings to get Kingpin, you know, off off kilter, off balance and just try to overthrow him and just try to, you know, he's basically second in command at this point, you know, so he's the most likely suspect. And so this episode is great in setting up the idea that, you know, who did this? You know, who who fucked with Vanessa? Who who fucked with the Kingpin? And what motive do they have? You know, what what reason do they have for doing this? And so it's set up beautifully that uh, Wesley is the is the primary suspect. Mm-hmm. Um, but throughout this scene, this kind of this scene kind of really internalizes the idea that they really have a true bond, and it's not like a uh, a, a business thing. It's not a mob kind of relationship type of thing it's really two guys who are friends you know if kingpin is like matt then wesley is like foggy and so try to imagine if foggy died you know how what that would mean to matt and how that would drive him crazy it's the same kind of principle and the same kind of idea that's being set up um here with the kingpin you know there's not many people that he can trust you know him being in his position you know but he's they're pouring their heart out to each other and he's gonna say you know you know like he's struggling with his words like i you know just just thank you you know he was on the verge of saying i love you you know like i love you man you know like they really have like a bond that goes deeper than their business deeper than their circumstances and you can see that wesley kind of has a uh a very fixated um like like he gets a little off right there you know smiling right there like that that his buddy is happy <laughs> no I, I mean he could be crazy but it could just be like genuine like you know like as a friend like yeah like like i'm happy for you you know like Vanessa's awake, she's recovering, you know, go get him, tiger. You know, that kind of that kind of uh, uh emotion from Wesley. The comparison between Matt and Foggy mm-hmm. and um what were the other guys' names? Wesley Wesley? Yeah. Oh and Toadpin. And the other guy. <laughs> King oh, Toadpin? Yeah, his, his name they're, is Wilson. Like, Wilson oh, and Wilson. The point is, like, so their friendships, what they have in common is that both friendships are very close. Mm-hmm. And, but 
in very different ways. Like I feel Foggy and Matt are much more intimate, mm-hmm. and then and then versus Wilson and Wesley, is that they're um they're because they're businessmen they have to show less emotion I feel like because business comes first mm-hmm. and then friendship so I think that it's just an interesting kind of oh what are they called like double characters mm. yeah. And I feel like that that's really it's a trip that that the creator would even actually notice that that such human traits. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of the great things about um, how they execute every episode. Like it's all thematic, like it all fits into what the whole overarching theme of that particular episode is. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's it's really great in that regard. Um, this is a scene where, um, this is a follow up to the last episode, um, where they had conversations about, um, about what actions should, um, Matt take, um, you know, him expressing that he wants to kill Wilson Fisk, um, that he just wants to be done with it. You know, he just wants to get it over with. He doesn't see a resolution. And now he's feeling some kind of regret because he feels those emotions. He hasn't acted out on them yet, but now he's questioning, you know, why do I have a little bit of the devil in me? You know, why do I have this rage and this anger and and these things that, that kind of torment me um, and that really kind of underpin who he is as a vigilante, you know, he, he has a very short temper and, uh, he's, he's no bullshit. He's no nonsense. You know, that that's who he is and that's how he operates. Um, but, um, but he has people around him that are going to level him out and keep him, um, keep him from going over that line, going over that edge. Very different from the Punisher. You know, he has virtually nobody, you know, he has Karen, um, there for a little while, but for the most part, you know, he doesn't let anybody into his life. He's lost everyone that he's loved. And so he doesn't have, you know, uh, a voice of, of consciousness to sort of say, Hey, like, you know, this isn't who you want to be. This isn't the road that you want to go down. Um, and so Matt has that Matt has great characters supporting him. Um, he wouldn't be him if, uh, the characters around him weren't who they are. Um, this is a, this is a great departure from Daredevil lore. Like nowhere that I've read, have they ever depicted him being able to heal himself? Um, that's more of an iron fist element. I think that Daredevil season one tried to introduce a lot of what all of the characters would be with defenders, um, Jessica Jones, Iron Fist, and uh, and Luke Cage, um, but that's a little bit of an Iron Fist kind of thing, being able to heal himself more rapidly. It explains why he's in the uh, in the in the very thin clothing that he wears here instead of just getting clunky armor just for the sake of protecting himself. You know, like if he was a real person, he'd be wearing uh, a lot more, you know, body protection. Um, but he doesn't really have to at this point because 
he knows how to heal himself rapidly. Um, and then when he gets his full costume, it's like, oh man, nothing can hurt him. So they need to, they need to be careful with that because, you know, in this season it creates a vulnerability when Matt goes out on the streets and he's going to, um, take on Kingpin and, and everyone that's surrounding him, his inner circle, like it can get really fucked up and, and he does, uh, from time to time, but, um, but he knows that he can kind of heal himself. He knows that he has that. But he leaves himself very vulnerable in, in the beginning here. Um, and that creates tension. And that creates good uh, character drama. You know, we care for Matt because, you know, you know, how many, you know, pauses do we see him taking cut man? You know, in between, you know, punching guy uh, four and guy five. You know, like he's... He's winded. He's out of breath. He's human. Like he's not superhuman in that sense. Like he doesn't have super strength, like, but he's going out and making a difference and beating the hell out of guys <laughs> for the cause, for the greater good. You know, that's, um, that's, that's what he's going for. You know, I always think it's very, very, um, unsettling and very scary how he's wearing a, pretty much a blindfold to people who don't know who he is or what he's about it's like how can you see you know like he's pretty much giving away that he's blind at that point um but but if somebody who's sighted can't see through a blindfold uh blindfold how can a blind man see through a blindfold so it's kind of um it's kind of this weird um thing to where he's giving away that he's matt murdoch but then he's also um solidifying the fact that he couldn't possibly be blind and be doing the things that he's doing wake up I, baby no 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 I, i'm stretching <laughs> wake up wake up baby it's it's a uh, toad pin yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah but i just it, love how how he was fucking up that guy to Every time he wouldn't answer something, every time he would answer the something that he didn't want to hear, like it's like that's no use to me. So why the fuck are you saying it? And yeah. then just would kick his ass. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's incredibly funny, and and it's it's a uh, it's really funny every time he's Daredevil is interacting with him. This feels like a Hallmark type of movie like i don't know it feels like very um like nicholas sparks like somebody's always in the hospital everyone is in the hospital talking <laughs> and it's like it's very very emotional and very just kind of like what are we gonna do how are we gonna pick ourselves up from this i wonder if people gossip in the hospital knowing that their family member is clearly on the verge of dying yeah d depending on like what hospital I i've had quite a few experiences with um with hospital stuff and it's like yeah sometimes the the nurses you know you take it for granted they get paid for that stuff but you know there's no amount of money in the world that can make a, a one human being care for like another human being 
And so sometimes you get you get people like that, you know, no matter no matter, you know, what you're paying them to do, um, you know, sometimes like it just isn't there. There's no amount of money in the world that can change that. But um, but yeah, there is a lot of gossip. There's a lot of just like there's a lot of high emotion and stuff like that. And it's just it's very. uh, Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of gossip that goes on, a lot of a lot of weird stuff. No, it it truly is like a soap opera. It is like a, the hub of um, like I remember my favorite soap opera to watch was um, Passions. Um, yeah, which not a lot of people um, have heard about it because um, it hasn't been on as long as like Days of Our Lives or, or General Hospital or something like that. But um, I watched Spanish soap operas, so I'm uh, not familiar with any English ones. And those are those are the best ones. Too. I've heard of General Hospital. Yeah, yeah, I think Spanish soap operas are like the best, but I can only watch it if there's subtitles. <laughs> oh my gosh! Um, I'll just tell you after. <laughs> All right. Uh, so there yeah. was a quick view of Gladiators. Uh, chest drawing i guess you can say um gladiator is he's not starting as a villain and becoming a an ally he's starting as an accomplice and he's ending up as an ally of daredevil um so you know we're we're keeping it pretty uh pretty mellow and pretty subdued uh there you have the yellow in the background indicating that this is the daredevil yellow phase of his uh of his crime fighting career but um what does the yellow face mean it it's it's his first year of crime fighting so in the comics he wore a yellow costume which would have been very goofy to do in live action um so that's that's his yellow phase he was on a campaign against like uh like who killed his dad and that led to the kingpin you know because he was you know controlling a lot of um crime i like how this is pretty much an accomplice to kingpin and you would think that he would pull out a beer but no he's pulling out a chocolate milk yahoo yahoo chocolate milk sounds good that's quick that's what he's drinking no it was not Nesquik. it was yahoo or yahoo there you go yahoo I've had it, not the best milk. Oh man, yeah, Nesquik, I like Nesquik. Nesquik is good. Yeah, but Nesquik yeah. is my uh, chocolate milk. Of choice. And I, I wasn't a fan of strawberry milkshake, but because Nesquik made it, I drank it. Yeah, Nes uh Nestle. Nesquik. No, Nestle. They're, they're hot chocolate. <laughs> so here he is, still recovering from his gash in his side, uh, and uh. He's going out here to investigate uh, Melvin's uh, hideout, but uh, he encounters Melvin himself, gets into a fight to which he didn't think he would encounter. Um, or maybe he did. Maybe he did want to confront him because he just waited instead of uh, scurrying away. And he did have his costume on. This is very cool because uh, we see Wesley. Um, he's doing things without kingpin's approval he's saying give me your gun give me your keys i need to take care of private business that he doesn't want to tell anybody about um 
but again, we have that scene between Wesley and Kingpin to where we know what side King uh, Wesley is on. He's on Kingpin's side 110%. But we have this um, this back and forth to where, you know, is he really pulling the strings? Is this the, the plot twist of, of the episode? And so if you're keen to that, you know, you're, you're aware of that and you're paying attention to that. But, um, but ultimately we see where, where, uh, where it goes with, 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 blah, 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 with Wesley, but, um, but Saul, not good. Um, Melvin is just kind of defending his turf. Um, and it's funny how Matt is restrained as a person when he's a civilian, but when he's Daredevil, he has no problem getting into anybody's circle, into anybody's bubble, and just imposing his will. And, um, you know, very, very great choreographed scenes. Um, just a lot of imagery in here with, with the stilt man legs and, and the gladiator poster and stuff like that. Um, just a lot of things that they try to cram in to Melvin Potter. You know, his starting out point and where he ends up at the end of the season. Um, they try to do a very, very um, background type of uh, way of executing his arc, uh, his character arc. Uh, but I think it sets him up for Gladiator in the future. It sets him up for, um, you know, his, you know, his Betsy getting in trouble in the future. Uh, and so we, we leave him in a very good place and he serves the, the story well. Um, plus we need to establish him as somebody who's going to create Daredevil's costume. And so we have all those elements there and we understand why we get from a black costume to the full fledged costume that he wears, uh, in the last episode. But, um, but we have Melvin, who's who's on the side of Wilson Fisk, but he's not there because he wants to be. He's there because he's threatened to be. Um, so you have a lot of characters in the comics that were kind of like that, you know, especially with like big groups, uh, the emissaries of evil, uh, the Sinister Six. The Sinister Six, you had um, uh, Sandman, who was pressured by Doc Ock. Um, to be in the Sinister Six, and it was even kind of conveyed a little bit in Spider-Man Three, but um, it, it's something that you know he doesn't want to fully go along in his heart of hearts. That's not who he is as a person, and that's like the really cool thing about Daredevil is that he's not only trying to take down uh, the Kingpin's empire; he's not trying to shoot him all dead like somebody like the Punisher. He's trying to convert them. You know, he's trying to get them to be on the side of being a good citizen to being, um, to being somebody who's going to stand up for, uh, the path of the righteous, uh, for the, for the sake of the city, for the sake of the community and stuff like that. Um, and so that's Daredevil's campaign. That's what he's trying to influence people around him to do and to be uh, to be courageous and be fearless like he is and so that's that's kind of what takes a while um, because he has to go through each and every person and they all have their different struggles and and matt has to try to meet people where they're at and try to uh, 
inspire them to be uh, to be better people. Um, but sometimes you're not better. Sometimes you're just depressed in a dive bar mm -hmm. and you're just drinking yourself like a crazy alcoholic. That looks like Ryan, but I may be wrong. <laughs> I, I just really find it interesting how condescending Matt is to the people. Oh, man. No, but yeah, I but I also love how almost, vulnerable these men are shown. Like, yeah. I'm not trying to make it a whole like gender thing, but I just I'm not I'm not very used. Well, actually, I am used to seeing very sensitive men, but I don't think it's publicly portrayed. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just think that it's I, that's I love it, especially because oh, like uh, cartoons are all. I feel like they're not cartoons. Sorry, I don't know why I said cartoons. Action shows like anything superhero villain like it's all about like men and even the women just being strong like not having any weak emotions which require crying mm -hmm. or being like upset about something and in this show it just shows like how it's okay to be like that even like the strongest people have that weakness yeah yeah they have that vulnerability yeah um yeah i mean it's it's very cool. Like, uh, like a lot of things can be very circumstantial, but you know, there's, there's really great, um, movies like taxi driver. I need to watch that movie. Yeah. Which is, which is a, like a good, uh, character study. And that's, that's two different things like circumstantial things with a plot and where, you know, there's events that happen that, make people react in a certain way and that makes up the story of a movie versus a character study to where it's like you really dig deep into what these uh, what these people's uh pathos are um and what their tendencies are and and uh what makes them tick and and all that stuff you know it it comes alive to you and when you read that in the comics if you don't read daredevil comics it's really great because you can read the comics even and really get that sense that you're really digging into into real people. Um, you know, Ben Affleck said that like Daredevil is, you know, he believed when when he was a child that Daredevil was a real person that we all read about, um, that he was three dimensional and that he was, um, uh, you know, he he really existed in in real life New York, and uh, you get that sense even though you know that you know. It's the Santa Claus syndrome for him, I guess. I don't know if he was bullshitting completely, but like it's the Santa Claus sy syndrome to where it's like, even though, you know, Santa Claus doesn't exist, you understand his virtues. You understand who he was um, and who he would be as a person. And so, you know, to be like that at least one day out of the year, you know, to be mm -hmm. cheerful, to be jolly, to be giving. Um you know, and those are all like good feels like for that one day of the year on Christmas because you understand and because you know what Santa Claus is about and, and you know, like who he is. And even though he's a fictional person, actually, there was a real Saint Nick, but Santa Claus, what he's become now, um, you know, you know what he's he's about. Everybody understands the character of Santa Claus. And so anybody can understand a fictional person as long as their um, characteristics about them that ring true in real life. And um, 
that's why the Easter Bunny sucks. You know, he's he's good to eat if he's made out of chocolate. Okay, we're like, and that's how the Easter Bunny sucks. <laughs> yeah, that was the ultimate point that I was trying to get to here. The Easter Bunny. The Easter Bunny. The whole, the whole commentary episode is all about, <sighs> has been leading up to this. Yeah, so, um, so we're really, really getting into, um, into a breaking point with Ben to where he's like, yeah, I, you know, let, let's go full 100. Like you dragged me into this. Let's, let's go full 100. Let, let's do this. Um, let's do this thing. And this is, this is the last conversation that, um, that Ben has with Karen. Um, it's a very sweet thing. Uh, it's probably not the last one. Um, but you know, Karen calls Matt. He's not there. He's fighting somebody else. He call she calls Foggy. He's drunk at a bar. He's no help. She has to babysit him for a little while. She calls Ben. And uh Ben is there and he's able to be home base for her for a little bit. They've developed this relationship and this is really kind of the um the the apex of their relationship, the the height of what their relationship is and what they share together. You know, it, it's not just a business thing. It's really uh, kind of like a father who never had a daughter and a daughter that never had a father. Um, at, least an, at least an understanding father. Right, right. Yeah, because I'm sure her father was a, was a big flaming asshole. But, um, but it, it's really funny. Like, like this, is, this is a cool moment for me. Like I often find myself like, like if I have to um, – be there for somebody I'll be there for somebody but then I have something going on you know on the side or whatever and it's just kind of like yeah like you know you can be there for somebody and then um and then just have your own stuff going on on the side and Ben Yerk is is tugging away at that story that he's working on um is Fisk pretty much an asshole because I feel they're portraying him as an asshole. What, what are you, what are you seeing that's portraying him as an asshole? Like everybody's like the guy's like, Oh, Fisk hurts everyone. It's like, (laughs) Oh, I'll get Fisk out of your life. And lastly, I'll stop Fisk from hurting everyone. (laughs) Yeah. Betsy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, he does, he's not afraid to kill. He, oh, he's like that guy from House of Cards. There you go. He uh he he killed his own father, which is what Karen and Ben are trying to investigate. They want to bring him into the light. They want to, you know, shed light on his past. You know, he doesn't deserve to be in the position that he's in because <laughs> he's broken the law. So let me get this straight. He kills his dad, and then and then he's like, "Oh, we should bring my dad back to life, just so he doesn't get in trouble." What? <laughs> or did I take everything you said out of context? You took everything perfectly well, except the "let's resurrect my dad" part. I don't think I've ever said at any point <laughs> that. <laughs> He wanted to resurrect his father. I thought you said, oh, bring the dad back. 
And I was like, okay, so you kill your dad. You're so, and so, you so got desperate. You're so desperate to not go to jail that you believe you can resurrect your father. Hey. He probably could. That's optimism right He's there. He's probably so much of an asshole that he could breathe people back from the dead. <laughs> oh, that is so illogical, but so funny. <laughs> I know. I know. That's what I do. I don't make sense. And I make a joke occasionally. Who am I to talk? <laughs> <laughs> the resurrection. <laughs> All right, Aww, so Wesley. So he went to go get her. Yeah, like <sighs> they, he just wanted to have a date with her. No, I know it's not romantic. Why not? Like, I'm not they're sitting that naive. Alone. It's yeah, while kind she's of like candlelight. half conscious. Yeah, that's. I mean, Wilson Fisk kissed his girlfriend when she was still recovering in the hospital. She wasn't even awake. Kinky. <laughs> no, um. These are men that believe that, that your a woman women <laughs> does not have to be conscious to have a good. <laughs> and surprisingly, they like it when they're at their weakest points. Like he likes that she's sobbing, and he's like, "Yeah, baby." Of course. And everyone likes the fact that there's foam. Oh, I mean, I'm I'm on him with that, but I did like the foam. But still, but anyways, like. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just. This is gonna get really Maybe weird. Wilson Fisk loved the foam in his girlfriend's mouth so much that he's the one who poisoned her drink. And he's like, "Oh, she's only gonna be in a coma for like what a week." <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. We are. That is kind of hot. respectable. Oh, I thought you were gonna say hot. But... <laughs> I I have respect for a man who's that into his desires that he's like you know what i'm gonna get what i want (laughs) 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 all right well (laughs) there's something cute about a girl crying though because she's a cute crier no 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 because there's the ugly criers she's a cute crier not that it matters whether you have a cute or ugly cry but yeah her, her whole demeanor changes like that glow that we have like she's casted in a lot of shadow uh, her hat, her hair is like over her face a little <gasps> bit more. <laughs> like there's a lot of shading going on, and there's there's tears in there. She looks very innocent looking, but like kind of like like she's casting a lot of shadow, so it looks very um very intense, and just very um <laughs> uh, very not uh, uh very not innocent. You know, th- this is a very uh, this is a very intense scene. You know, he brings a, a gun into the to the equation. He doesn't want to kill her. He just wants her to be quiet. And this is the kingpin's control. It's sometimes about making a, an example of people, but sometimes it's about buying people off. You know, uh, city officials, cops, you know, people in journalism. You know, buying them off and that exhibits a certain amount of power that is sort of unseen. But you see it spread throughout um, throughout this season to where his reach extends everywhere in Hell's Kitchen. You know, and Wesley foolhardily believes in that. You know, he doesn't like Hell's Kitchen, he says, but he's here for Wilson Fisk. He believes in Wilson Fisk's power. That's how devoted he is to Wilson Fisk. And, you know, this whole thing with Wesley, you know, you know, being, you know, on his on Fisk's side or 
Is he against him? Is he trying to overthrow him? We not only establish that he's completely on Wilson Fisk's side, we establish that he's an irredeemable character. He is not ever going to side with Daredevil. He's never ever going to stop following Wilson Fisk and carrying out his his will. Um, and so it makes it okay for for him to be expendable as well. And um, and we see how well that Wilson Fisk's uh, terminologies and his way of thinking and his way of conducting business. Um, how Wesley has adopted that and that is who he is. He is an extension wholeheartedly of, of, of his employer. Um, and so he wants to exhibit Wilson's Wilson Fisk's uh, control out to Karen and Karen, the sweet, innocent girl who you thought like is the angel of the morning you know, she is the antithesis of uh, the perfect paradigm or archetype of uh, of an American woman. Is going to do something drastically, drastically different than um, than what you thought that she would ever do. Um, so it, it's it's sending Wesley John. Wesley off setting his character up to be a complete follower of Wilson Fisk, not able to change nothing to his character. That's who he is through and through 100%. But you also set up Karen who is looking for Matt. He's she's looking for foggy. They're not available. You know, even Ben Urick gives her, you know, like, you know, a good pep talk. But he doesn't go to see her. He stays home. You know, he doesn't say like, oh, let me go, you know, check up on you. Let me go see how, how you're doing. She's left alone by her peers. And she um, is going down this path to where, you know, who she is apart from the people around her, her friends and, and, and all that, who she is at the core of her is somebody who's defiant and somebody who is a, uh, who is a survivor. And she comes to blows with Wesley and it is explosive, like bullet in your chest explosive. It's it, it's it's really it's really wonderful how these two characters are set up throughout this episode. Um, again, not very um, not very uh, um, uh, masterfully crafted or anything like that, but it's very apparent. You can clearly see, and I like how West uh, how uh, Wilson Fisk is indirectly involved in in what's happening with Wesley and Karen. I love how she grew the courage to to be smart with him, you know? Yeah. Like at first she was like scared and couldn't even say a word, and then all of a sudden she started being a smart ass. Yeah. And now I'm not I don't know if she, whatever if she's actually going to shoot him or not, 
but like the fact that she's threatening him yeah when he was the one to threaten her at first right yeah i mean you know to to see the the turnaround yes <laughs> but that's gonna come and bite her back in the ass it seems like everything she does somehow comes and bites her back in the ass or somebody yeah or somebody around her yeah she she usually just kind of she lets other people take the fall for stuff that she does. Um, now get into what that. a bitch. Like, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's totally like how I feel about her sometimes. And it's just like, you know, you get people into a lot of trouble, like not just yourself. Yeah, that that's what he said. Oh, you won't be the first one to die. Like everyone she cares about is going to be the first one to die. And then when mm. she has no shed, no tears to shed, mm. she will be. The one to die. Very, very strong foreboding. There's there's quite a few foreboding um, lines like that, which are, you know, if you if you understand uh, the comics, you know, like how stuff goes down. But a uh, lot of good um, foreshadowing. Stuff like that. So this has been my podcast. We'll see you again for the next episode. The ones we leave behind. In three, two, one. With a check, 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 and with a. Did I do it again, or? Yeah. Check, check, check. All right, check. See how big, bigger that is. Mm-hmm. That means that more sound is being captured. That means that that's a good one. Want to check? Chris? Check, check. Yeah, we'll fix that in post. <laughs> you have a much louder, deeper voice than I do. We're not recording yet. Well, check, check. <laughs> okay.